Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who have been present, Lord, present here and all who have joined us via live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and mind in faith and trust to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcement. Brother and sister John and Alice Stainoff have advised Consistory that they will be moving to Canberra for one year period. During this time, they will withdraw their membership from the Free Reformed Church in Southern River. We wish them the Lord's blessing and look forward to their return. Brother Peter Trepster will lead the worship service this afternoon. And before we commence the service, let us sing hymn 72, verse 1, 3, and 4. Congregation, if you are able, please stand to receive the greeting of the Lord. Together we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And he greets us. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us praise God with singing Psalm 108, verse 1 and 2.
We now make confession of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, after which we will sing from Psalm 119, verse 4, 5 and 6. Let everyone say with me in his heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Let us now come before the Lord in prayer and ask for a blessing over his worship service. Merciful and gracious God, we thank you that we know you as a God of grace and that you show that grace most of all in the gift of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that in him we have life. We also experience your grace and your fatherly goodness and care that you continue to provide for us as you have promised. You have promised to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. This is a promise that you have made and confirmed in our baptism. A promise that, we admit, we sometimes struggle with. We don't always see how evil has been averted or how evil has been turned to our good. And yet, you tell us in your word that all things work together for our good. Lord, your greatness is unsearchable, your wisdom too marvellous for us. And we pray that in this sinful and broken world, we may yet taste and see your goodness in our lives. Help us to see how you are busy working in our hearts, to see how we are being moulded and shaped, refined and renewed more and more after your image. We're thankful that this afternoon again we can have that word of grace brought home. We pray that through your word you will encourage us and equip us for the battle against our three sworn enemies, the devil, the world and our own flesh. We may be pointed again to the work that you have done in Christ and continue to do in him and in his spirit. We thank you for this word. We know that it is the inspired, infallible word. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting, for training in righteousness, for all these things, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. We pray then that you would use the opening of your word for that purpose. Also this afternoon that we may be equipped for good works, also in light of the Tenth Commandment. This rule of thankfulness which exposes us in our sin points us to Christ. It becomes a guide for the way that we express our gratitude to you. Prepare our hearts to receive that word, that we may be strengthened, encouraged and edified. And above all, we pray that your holy name may be honoured and glorified by our worship. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon I'm going to read to you this afternoon was written by Reverend Arden Hollander from the Canadian Reformed Church in Grimsby. The text is Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism about the Tenth Commandment. The scripture reading that he has chosen is Proverbs 4. I invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Proverbs 4, which is on page 628 of the Guest Bible. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. 
the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honour you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from the evil. Now let us respond to the reading of God's word from singing Psalm 19, verse 5 and 6.
As I mentioned, this afternoon we continue our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, where we have come to Lord's Day 44, which deals with the Tenth Commandment. Before we read the Lord's Day together, it might be helpful to read the commandment itself through once more. So I'll read that from Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. So let us now turn to the Catechism together, to Lord's Day 44, which is on page 558 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 44. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose they do begin to live, not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life, we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Following the proclamation of the gospel, our song in response will be hymn 28, verse 1, 2, 4 and 5. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep your heart right up front that's our theme because when it comes to the tenth commandment we're touching on the heart not that muscle in here that pumps blood throughout our body but the heart as it's used in the bible the place of our emotions our motivations our thoughts is what makes us tick we've certainly touched on the heart already with the other commandments Christ himself taught us to do that to see what lies behind each commandment that has led some people to say that the Tenth Commandment is a bit repetitious. It's overkill. Instead, we see that God is making explicit what is implicit in the others. And we need that. We're so good at excusing ourselves by giving into lesser crimes, by living with so-called respectable sins. Well, sure I'm angry, but at least it's not outright murder. That's how we sometimes excuse ourselves with any of the commandments. Jesus ties the heart to them too. But where the other commandments might start on the outside and then head inside, the tenth commandment starts on the inside. The tenth commandment isn't about what we do, but about what we want to do, what we plan to do, what we dream about. It's about our internal desires. As much as we might want to wriggle out of the previous commandments, there will be no loopholes. God covers it all. 
inside and outside sin. That's why our Lord's Day this afternoon summarises the 10th commandment the way it does. That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. Now, if that's not an answer that expresses totality, then I don't know what is. Not even the slightest, contrary to any, should ever, with all, always hate all sin, all righteousness. Jesus summarises the law by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, and all your soul and all your mind. Anything short of that is not enough. No wonder the father says to his son in Proverbs 4 then, keep your heart with all vigilance. That's our theme for this afternoon. And we hear about that, that, about that using the three parts of our catechism. Guilt, grace and gratitude. Keep your heart, knowing guilt, experiencing grace, pursuing gratitude. Keep your heart, firstly, knowing guilt. So what does the Bible have to say about the heart? Later in Proverbs 20 verse 9, we read these words. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? That's a rhetorical question. It's not looking around for someone to raise a hand and say, me, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin. No, no one can say, I have made my heart pure. Instead, as the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's what the tenth commandment begins to expose in us, doesn't it? In Proverbs 4 verse 25 we read together, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. That's not really about the physical eyes, these balls and their sockets in our head. Just like the heart isn't about the muscle, these eyes are the eyes of our heart. What do we set our gaze on? Instead of looking elsewhere at the things that aren't yours, look directly forward. Isn't that where all this sin began? God said to the man and the woman that they could eat from every tree in the garden, bar one. And they must have been beautiful and delicious and wholesome and satisfying however many other ways you want to describe what God gave them. God wasn't holding anything back. He gave them everything they needed, and then some. But what happens when the woman is standing in front of the tree of which God said, of that tree you may not eat? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. Her eyes didn't look directly forward. Her gaze wasn't straight before her. She looked elsewhere. She desired. She coveted something God hadn't given her. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. There's a key point too. He was with her and he ate. He couldn't say, I didn't know where she got it from. The eyes of his heart were on the fruit too and he ate. Then the Lord says, you shall not covet. Well, he doesn't stop there actually. And neither should we. We sometimes talk about coveting each other's prayers. There's nothing wrong with that. We desire each other's prayers. 
That's to say that there are things that we can desire, that we can covet. The young bride talks away about her lover in the Song of Solomon. She delights in him, desires in him in a pure way. But God continues, You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. We can hear there that God covers all the main areas of a person's life. Our security. Think of the neighbour's house. Marriage. Think of the neighbour's wife. Our leisure. Think of the neighbour's servants. That allowed him to get his work done so he could busy himself with other things, including leisure. Wealth and status. Think of the ox, the donkey, or anything else. Wealth and status were measured by the number of cattle and animals that the person owned. Yes, God covers the whole world of our experience in this commandment. Security, marriage, leisure, wealth and status. You shall not set your desire on those things which I haven't given to you. Keep your heart. Let your eyes, the eyes of your heart, look directly forward. It doesn't take much though, does it? The eyes of a fool, says Proverbs 17 verse 24, are on the ends of the earth. He's always looking elsewhere. As though happiness and contentment will be found there. I'll be happier if... And you fill in the blank. I'll be happier if we can upgrade our house, our property, our kitchen. I'll be happier if my wife looks more like her, my husband acts more like him. I'll be happier if we can go there for our vacation. We can enjoy this perk this year. I'll be happier if I have the latest gadget, the newest toy. So much of advertising is geared towards getting the eyes of our heart to look elsewhere. Look here. No, look here. It shouts. And the devil knows how to use very natural, good desires that God has put in us and to twist them, warp them. He's got millennia of practice. He's worked in the garden. He's worked many times since then. What God forbids in his law also comes with a command. If he says, you shall not covet these people and these things then he also says you shall be content content with what you have contentment is the antidote to covetousness then too we give thought to our hearts am I content with what's been given to me can I rejoice in the present for all the things he's given me are the eyes of my heart straight ahead on all he's set in front of me even right here in front of me under my nose it doesn't take much to always look forward to something, does it? For the boys and girls getting to that age, looking forward to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And when things are getting serious in their relationship, engagement, marriage, children, the Lord willing, the moment you get to the one, your mind's off to the next. Even just over the course of a year, we have a special events on our calendar and we look forward to them. I can't wait till my birthday, right, boys and girls? I can't wait till school is done. I can't wait till we go camping. I can't wait till... And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But see how easy it is to forget to enjoy the precious gift of today, the present, when we're looking too far ahead. All this is going on in our hearts. The Tenth Commandment is pointing us to what's going on in our hearts. Back to Proverbs 20 verse 9. Who can say... 
I have made my heart pure. I am clean from sin. Will you, when you reflect on all this, it's no wonder, is it, that in Lord's Day 23 we confess, my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Of all of them, the tenth results in that the most. My conscience accuses me. When God says, keep your heart, I know my guilt. I know that of myself, best of all, well, after God, of course. Solomon prayed to God, you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind. But you can't know what's in my heart, and I can't know what's in your heart. Man looks on the outside, God looks in the heart. But man can look in his own heart. So when God says, you shall not covet your neighbours, then I walk away, considering myself the greatest of all sinners. My heart is exposed. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say that of himself, that he is the greatest of sinners? Why does he say that? Because he somehow sinned in his lifetime much more than other people? No, it's because he knows his own heart. Do you ever ask yourself, do other people struggle with that? Am I the only one? Because we know what's going on in here. And when we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot going on in there. Surely we have that more than others, right? There's just so much. Isn't that sometimes how we feel? What do you walk away with when you confess with our Lord's sake that not even the slightest thought or desire against any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart? Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. Don't you walk away with the words of Lord's Day 23? My conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned. Yes, yes, it ought to, but it can't stop there. That's the mighty comfort of Lord's Day 23. Although my conscience accuses me, yet God, without any merit of my own, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ and even as I know guilt in the light of the tenth commandment I also again experience anew God's grace his grace in the work of his son and that's where we turn secondly our second point experiencing grace even as the tenth commandment exposes us in our sin me in my sin it teaches us all that Christ has done in our place the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 verse 24 writes, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. Or, as other translations have it, the law has become our tutor, our teacher, to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. The old King James Version even uses the word schoolmaster. The law is our schoolmaster. The new school year hasn't started yet, but we understand this term, don't we, boys and girls? The school teacher has to lead, teach and guide to get to the point where the students grasp the subject material. And it's hard work sometimes, isn't it? The law is our schoolmaster. It leads us to Christ, says Paul. And he does, doesn't it? Back in Laws 14, we confessed what it means that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The summary statement is, he was made like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. He was like us in every respect, 
He had our weak, sinful flesh. He experienced the brokenness that comes with all that. Hunger, weariness and tears. Hebrews 4 verse 15. He was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. That means that what Lord's Day 44 offers as the explanation of the 10th commandment, he kept without sin. We admitted that these words of question and answer 113 are too total and complete for us. Not even the slightest, contrary to any, should ever arise. That's not you. That's not me. But God reveals a saviour to us, and that's who he is. Not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, ever arose in his heart. Rather, with all his heart, he always hated all sin and delighted in all righteousness. Now that is the sweetness of the gospel. Sometimes when people are asked, what is the gospel? The answer just isn't full enough. The focus so often is on Jesus' death on the cross. He came to die. And that's true, he did. When he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. He bore the full weight of the wrath of God. He drank the cup of God's wrath down to its dregs. All these ways that we could describe it. And when he rose again, he triumphed over sin and death. But that's not the extent of the gospel. He didn't come only to die. Otherwise, he might as well have come for a weekend. Good Friday, Easter, Ascension Day. Pack those together in a weekend and we have the gospel. But that's not all. He came here as a baby. He grew in wisdom and stature. He had a lifetime here on earth, 30 plus years. Because he didn't only come to suffer death in our place. He came to obey the law perfectly in our place. He came to live a life on earth under the law of God and to keep it completely with a whole heart. Have you ever tried to imagine what life was like at Joseph and Mary's house in Nazareth? Jesus had brothers and sisters. How did they experience having Jesus in the family? No grumbling when he had to do the dishes. No pouting because he didn't get his way. No back talk when asked to go and help outside. Always obedient. He said it repeatedly to his disciples. My food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. I have come to do my Father's will. And that just wasn't his will to die for us. It's his revealed will in the word, in the ten words. Christ came here to do what the first Adam failed to do. Keep every one of God's commandments with a pure heart. Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. Proverbs 20 verse 9 again. Only the one who came down from heaven, who was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And the gospel in that is, he did that too for us. Not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments ever arose in his heart, so that he could impute that to us by faith. With all his heart he always hated all sin, and delighted in all righteousness, so that he could impute that to us by faith. That when we believe in him, his obedience is so completely ours as if we had personally kept them all. When we with bitterness realise how far we are from keeping that law, how much sweeter is the good news of Christ's obedience? When we live in denial, pretending that our sin isn't as pervasive as it really is. When we fail to see how great our sin and misery are, 
then we're also going to miss out on experiencing the fullness of God's grace. And so that the 10th commandment is a blessing to us. Yes, it hurts to be exposed so deeply, to have our very heart prodded, our inmost thoughts. The word of God, says Hebrews 4 verse 12, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's what the word of God does. It gets right into the heart. But even as the word cuts there, as it slices and dices what's living there, it's the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Don't wallow there in the weakness of sinful flesh. Don't get bogged down by deceitfulness of the heart. Come along. Look to Christ, Hebrews 12 teaches us. Look to him who came here to do what we could never do and to do that for us so that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, he can declare righteous, perfectly obedient to the law of God. And that's not even the extent of God's great grace in Christ which we may experience. Because the Father who sent his Son, also together with his Son, sent his Spirit. The Spirit who gives us a new heart, who removes a heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh that pursues a life of gratitude. And that's our third point. Our third point, pursuing gratitude. Keep your heart. That's the theme again, taken from the words of Proverbs 4. See, there's a promise hidden behind there, isn't there? You can't, don't want to keep the heart that is deceitful above all things. You can't say of yourself, I have kept my heart pure. But by the grace of God, in the spirit of God, that heart changes. It grows. It's moulded and shaped in the image of Christ. God saved us, says the Apostle Paul to Titus, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. That's what we celebrate on Pentecost. And God has promised to pour him into our hearts by faith. In the Spirit we keep our hearts with all vigilance. How? How does he do his work? How does this happen? When the word of God is written on our hearts. We read this in Proverbs 4. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And healing to all their flesh. Life. Life, because in that word we find Christ. And we may say with the Apostle Paul, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you hear how that relates to the 10th commandment too, brothers and sisters? Anything we might have in this life is nothing, is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. As someone once said, the problem with coveting isn't that we're always looking for more, it's that we're looking for less. We're not looking for more. We're looking for less. How is that? Because we have our sights set way too low. Our coveting is so often of earthly, material, disappearing things. But in Christ, 
God has an eternal inheritance in store for us, undefiled, unfading, imperishable. Would we pass that up for more things here? Things that are really far less? It's like this, someone else once said. How many of us in walking past a homeless man on the street covet what he has? When you're on your way home with your beautiful wife, the children God has blessed you with, the house full of food and clothing and toys, the car and the garage, do you covet what he has sitting there on the street with next to nothing? But isn't that what we're doing when we covet our neighbour's house, his wife, his male servant, female servant, anything that is our neighbour's? We're on our way home. We're on our way to an eternal glory that no eye has seen, no ear heard, no heart of man conceived. Why sell ourselves short by coveting, by being caught up with coveting things here? That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. At a first read, maybe those sentences don't seem to fit together. But they do when we have that illustration in mind. Why would the Apostle Paul cover their gold and silver and apparel when by the word of grace he has the eternal inheritance on his heart and mind? No, beloved. Then the heart that has been been redeemed by Christ is set on gratitude. A gratitude that translates into contentment. In this way, it grows by having the word of Christ impressed on it more and more. That is, on the heart. We want to know him like the Apostle and the power of his resurrection. Then the word of God, the Bible, has to be opened. And with the word opened, we pray fervently that the Spirit will imprint that there on our heart. Then we can keep our heart with all vigilance, and we will enjoy the life that God has given. Then more and more, even that sin of coveting is put to death. Instead, we live with contentment. Contentment out of gratitude for God's grace in Christ freeing us from our guilt then we can say with the psalmist keep back your servant from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression Psalm 19 blameless and innocent of great transgression now that's not perfect even the holiest we confess has only a small beginning of disobedience Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. And while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, they never stop striving to be renewed after God's image. Then, by the grace of God, after this life, we may reach the goal of perfection. Keep your heart with all vigilance, brothers and sisters, for from it flow the springs of life. Amen.
Let us pray to the Lord. In our prayer this afternoon, we will give thanks together with Margaret Cooper and Keith Vandeleer that they could become engaged recently. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, once more we may come to you in prayer to thank you for the gospel. The gospel not only of Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross, but of his perfect obedience to your law, even this tenth commandment. With all his heart he hated all sin and delighted in all righteousness. We thank you because that law certainly exposes us in our sin and our guilt. We know that we can never make our hearts pure. We can never make ourselves clean from sin. But in your abundant grace you have done that for us in Jesus Christ. You have also poured your spirit into our hearts to renew us and change us that we might have a new heart that we might pursue gratitude. Father, keep our eyes looking forward, the eyes of our heart, that we may live with contentment with all the things that you have given us, even as we look forward to the eternal inheritance in store for us. Help us not to cast our eyes too lowly on material things that moth and rust destroy, that are fading and perishable. Help us to look for more as we anticipate the day of Christ's return, and that eternal inheritance that is ours in him. Father, we pray, help us indeed to be thankful for all that you have provided for us day by day, to enjoy each precious moment that you give to us in the present. May we also then continue to enjoy the remainder of this day as a day of rest, an opportunity to find our rest in Christ, to enjoy time together as family before we take up our work again tomorrow. Lord, together with Margaret Cooper and Keith Vandalier, we thank you that they could become engaged recently. We thank you for your goodness in their lives, that you could bring them to this point. And we pray for your continued blessing over this period of engagement and give them everything they need as they prepare for marriage. Lord, we pray that you'll be with all of us this coming week. Many of us face challenges and trials in our lives, even on a daily basis. Some of us struggle in silence, either emotionally or spiritually, and yet you know, and we pray that you'll carry us through these difficult times. Will you be with those who suffer physically or are under care of the doctors? We pray also that you'll be with those who feel lonely or isolated, especially at this time of the year. We pray that you'll be with us in our families too. May our homes be true Christian homes where your word is open and our covenant children are raised to know you and to love you. Give us as parents much wisdom in this. We pray also for those members in our congregation who are away on holidays. Care for them and protect them on their travels that they may return home safely at the appointed time. We pray that you'll be with all of our older members and also with our elderly brothers and sisters in Fairhaven. And so we pray now that you'll bless the offering that is about to be taken. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that is Fairhaven and pray that you'll continue to be with the board, the management team and those who are involved in providing care to and honouring our parents, grandparents and even great-grandparents. We thank you that we may be a part of that by way of our offering. Receive this too as a way of expressing gratitude to you for your word today. Hear us, Father, not because we deserve any of what we have laid before you, but we pray it all for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.
You now have the opportunity to bring your thank offerings, which this afternoon is for the Ministry of Mercy and in particular Fair Haven. After the offering has been taken, let us rise and sing our closing song, hymn 65, verse 1 and 3.
us lift up our hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.